Welcome to the Own Your Time podcast. This is the host, Kyle Marcotte, and today we have Dan Hanford on the show. Dan is one of the managing partners with PassiveInvesting.com, which is a national passive apartment investing firm based in the Carolinas. He has led his apartment syndication company to acquire over 2,000 units with a portfolio valued at over $220 million in just 24 months. He is also a passive investor himself in over 4,500 units across 21 different syndication investments. Prior to getting started in investing in real estate, Dan had an extensive background in starting multiple seven-figure businesses from scratch, including a large group of non-surgical orthopedic medical clinics and located in South Carolina. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Looking forward to sharing with your audience here. Awesome. So I have a bunch of questions for you, but before we start, I'd love for you just to give the listeners a little background on your story and how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I don't know how far back you want me to go, but um, back uh, back um, when I was in you know in high school, if you will, I mean I I've always had a, a kind of an entrepreneurial slant to me, and I remember you know going you know door to door, you know doing you know cutting grass and then selling candy bars and cut code knives as I got a little older, and uh, even doing pressure washing and uh, had a business there doing you know pressure washing, even gas stations and restaurants and different things like that. But then, uh, you know, when I got out, I actually started a web design, web hosting and networking company. And that company, I ended up designing a website for a chiropractor that went to my church and started asking him lots of questions about chiropractic and got really interested in that. And then ended up going to chiropractic college and getting a degree there. While I was in chiropractic college, I started a company called shoppingatomical.com. And, uh, and, and because when I was in chiropractic college, all of the students there needed a spine model to actually learn the different bones of the spine uh, in order to learn how to adjust those bones. And so in the bookstore, there was a spine model that was for sale. And it was, uh, I heard everybody complaining that it was like $189 uh, for that spine, $189.95 to be exact. And so I went into the bookstore and figured out who actually made it and found one of their distributors and you know, asked him, I said, well, you know, what kind of a discount could I get if I, you know, was able to sell like say 20 of these? And they said, well, we can give it to you for $65. And so I was like, I'm not trying to make a bunch of money. I was just going to, you know, sell it for say $69.95 and, you know, undercut the bookstore and still make a nice spread on it. And so I ended up selling 80 of those in the first week. And then I kind of sat back and thought, well, I wonder if I can go direct to the manufacturer instead of going through the distributor. And then, so I actually, uh, found the manufacturer, reached out to them, became one of their dealers, and then, and I'm today still one of their dealers and, and one of their top project, top dealers in their program. And we have a company now that's a full-fledged company. That's where it got started is in that, in that company. And that company, you know, while I was in chiropractic school, I was starting and, and, and putting together and it grew from just that one product to, you know, over 2000 products. And now we have multiple manufacturers that we're working with now. And that company does over seven figures a year, every year. And I have a nice team that runs that we're going on our 13, 14th year on that. And that company allowed me to start my first chiropractic clinic. Um, when I got out of chiropractic college, uh, you know, I'm debt free. And even today I now have four medical clinics that have no debt on them. And, uh, and those clinics continue to produce cash flow. And I have, I started out in chiropractic and then I actually about four years ago merged them into what's called a non-surgical orthopedics and sports medicine clinic. So we actually don't do any chiropractic in those clinics anymore. We refer out for it and the chiropractors refer to us for various types of treatments. Um, and so with the, the revenues that I was making off the businesses that I had started, I started having to write a lot of, you know, checks, to, large checks to the government that, uh, you know, you always think about the more money you write to the government, the more money you're making. So it's a good thing. But then you also get to the point where you're like, is there a way I can reduce this taxable liability, but still maintain my income? 
And that's really when I started to fall in love with the real estate side of things. Researched it for, for several years, but was never, you know, never really had the time to do it. But then about uh, two and a half, three years ago, I stepped out of that full-time role and had a, a CEO now that runs the companies now that, uh, so I don't have to do a lot of the day-to-day. And I focus primarily on our new private equity group called PassiveInvesting.com. And we're acquiring apartment complexes across the country and, and, uh, and, and using outside investors, uh, uh, private investors that normally couldn't buy a large, you know, 30, $40 million property. And we pool our investor money together to be able to acquire these assets. And uh, it's helped me from a tax perspective as well, because I've been able to reduce my taxable liability by investing in these types of assets as well. That's an amazing, amazing story. Um, one of the things I want to dig into is the mindset that you have to actually scale out of these companies, because both of them essentially are passive at this point. You're basically an advisor in the clinics and the, uh, the anatomical models company is essentially fully passive. So number one, I want to ask you the mindset that it takes to delegate tasks to something that you started and is kind of like your baby in a sense. How do you get over that mental barrier um, and start delegating tasks? Well, I had started that earlier on as far as the delegation, because I had found, you know, in my earlier you know, career in these businesses that, you know, I, I actually was not able to scale if I didn't start to learn how to delegate and hire people that can do things better than I can. And, you know, as an entrepreneur and a business owner, I, I have the, the kind of flaw that I feel like I can do everything better than everybody else. So I just wanted to do everything myself. And I had to get over that. And that's one of the things that I tell people is that if you can get over that fact that you cannot do everything. And even though you think you can still do it better than everybody. And I still think that, I mean, I tell people every day, Kyle, I'm like, listen, I still feel like I can do everything better than everybody else, but I can't do all of it. So if I can, I kind of told myself that if I could find somebody that can do it at least 80 to 85% the level that I can, then I'm, I'm, I'll be happy to turn it over so I can focus on the growth and the vision and kind of, you know, expanding and scaling and that was really the mindset that I had to have. And that shift was, you know, I needed to start to delegate. I needed to start to hire people that I knew could handle things. And, you know, honestly, these people now do things better than I can. So even though I still feel like I can do it better, it's, it's if, I, if that was all I was doing, I knew I could, I know I could probably do it better, but I don't have the time to do everything. And so to be able to surround yourself with a good solid team was the biggest thing. And, you know, my mind shift when I switched over to kind of stepping out of the day-to-day role I actually was at a conference and heard somebody speak about being the general in my business. I thought I was. And I'm like, no, because the general is never on the front lines. The general is always in the back managing things. Um, and from a high level perspective, almost like Warren Buffett does. Right. And so I started to think about that. And I was like, you know, I actually could do this. Things are in place now where I could actually step away because I've learned to delegate. I have a team in place. I might need to promote somebody to be able to take over some of the day-to-day stuff that I was doing. But for the most part, things could still run. And I had put some things into place, some training that I had to put, you know, put in place to be able to step away and do that. But it was one of those things that once I made that decision, I, I, I went full force with it and implemented it relentlessly and was able to step out. And I'm glad I did. So it sounds like you've built a pretty big team, but how do you go about choosing a team member? What traits do you look for? And, uh, and yeah, like where you find them and how do you start to keep everyone in line when it gets as big as it has? Sure. Well, I wish I had a magic formula for you on that because people is hiring the right people is, 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 is challenging. And we've, there's definitely been a few things that we've done from a, from a corporate standpoint to, to make sure that we hire, you know, good talent, but you know, it's, it's not, it's not foolproof. So it's just, I don't think any system that you're going to find is going to be a hundred percent, but one, a couple of things that we've done is, is we, we actually have a, 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 a series of tests that we have our, um, applicants take in order before we hire somebody. And we actually use a service now called 
the uh, the Wonderlick test. And some people might have heard about that from like the NFL and different things like that. But um, it actually is a really good test for for pre-employment, and it kind of it grades people on cognitive ability, personality, and motivation. And it, it, it matches them with the position that, that you're actually hiring. And so it tells you how close of a match they are for that position. Again, it's not 100% fail, you know, fool, foolproof because we've definitely been fooled by it. But once, ever since we started implementing that, I feel like the quality of people that we're able to hire has actually been, been good. But I will say that one of the biggest flaws that I see a lot of entrepreneurs make, and, and, and I made it in the very beginning as well, is trying to hire the cheapest people, right? And, and it's not always the right, the right way to go about it. It's not always just trying to find the cheapest talent. Sometimes you have to make sure that you find, not sometimes you should be trying to find the talent that matches the position and pay what you need to pay for that position because it's, you will find that that person, as long as they're matched well with that position, even if you have to pay them a little more, they will save you a lot of money in the long term. So those are just a couple of tips that I would say is that we've actually started to do and implement to be able to make sure we have a good team in place and continue to do that as well. Amazing. The Wonderlick test. I've never heard that used as a, as a little uh, interview question, but that's amazing. Um, so back to real estate, the tax benefits that you're experiencing, can you walk the listeners through what those are and how you're going about actually getting those tax benefits? Sure. So I'll, I'll cover it with two different levels of it because it depends on how you're classified by the IRS. But let's just say there's somebody who's not classified as a real estate professional because that's a whole other classification, which I'll talk about quickly there as well. But if you're not classified as a real estate professional, meaning you're working another job or you have your own business, you don't have time to focus on the real estate, you know, full time, then what your, 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 the major benefit that you would have from it would be that when you invest in real estate and you cash flow off of it, so let's just say you put $100,000 into an investment and you were able to get seven or eight, not seven, eight, $9,000 a year out of that investment, your depreciation off that investment would offset the income off of it so that you wouldn't have to pay that, 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 that tax, that federal tax on that income off that property. Now, if you sold the asset, they were, there would be what's called depreciation recapture that you would have to pay because your basis in that property starts to go down every time you take that depreciation. But that's also why you use tools like 1031 exchanges to be able to continue to defer that depreciation recapture and even the capital gains tax as well. So as long as you can join a group that actually wants to continue to 1031, which is what one of the things that our group does try to do, we can't guarantee it. That's one of the things our, 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 our goal is when we sell an asset is to 1031 exchange that into the next project. And, uh, and so we went in our projects, we, a minimum we, we acquire now is 20 million upwards to 75 million. So we have, you know, several investors, multiple investors that are, you know, usually, you know, 75, hundred investors that are in our project. So we're all in kind of, you know, 1031 exchanging into that next asset. Now from the other side of it, well, before I move over there, if you have additional depreciation, which you typically will have over and above those cash flows, you do have the ability to offset other passive gains from that depreciation. But again, I'm not a C, I'm not again, but I'm not a CPA or a tax advisor like that. So I definitely suggest that you you reach out to them, even with the advice that I'm giving you. Um, but if you're classified as a real estate professional and you don't have to have any special licensure or anything like that, but based on the IRS guidelines, you have to have a certain number of hours or a certain amount of percentage of your time that's focused on the real estate side of things. And if it is, you, you can be classified if you, you, you document things and follow things properly as a real estate professional. And in my situation, I'm classified as a real estate professional. So all of my depreciation, instead of just offsetting my passive income, it also can offset my ordinary income and even some of the gains, even the gains I get off of my businesses. And so I'm able to reduce my taxable liability, not just with my real estate side of things, but my 
my real estate holdings helps me offset the gains that I'm receiving in my other businesses as well. Amazing. And I want to cover some of the things, some of the little terms that he's used in this explanation. Number one, the 1031 exchange. It's basically you're able to defer capital gains when you're selling a real estate asset and purchasing another um, real estate asset of like kind, I believe is the actual word, right? So, and then also the real estate professional um, aspect that he's talking about is a pretty recent tax reform. So if you're not super privy on that, I highly recommend uh, you look it up. I believe it, it was enacted in 2017 by Donald Trump, and it definitely does benefit people who classify as a real estate professional. There's the ability to shrink um, depreciation to a, almost a one-year time frame, and then there's also uh, a rollover effect if you're not able to use all of that in year one, which is absolutely amazing um, tax benefits for real estate. Um, so how did you learn so much about real estate so quickly, and you've made such massive progress in 24 months? So how did you go about learning um, the industry so fast? So, well, well, for one, I had researched it for about a year and a half to two years before I got into it, but I'm the type of person that I want to learn it to a point where I can actually teach it. And so immediately what I started to do is, is build, build a platform where I can start to teach other people this, not charging for it. You know, I, I have a, a free platform called the Multifamily Investor Nation, and I do weekly webinars every single week. And I actually have one right after this one, and then about, about an hour and a half. And I'll be teaching on, you know, various, I, I teach on various topics. And so be able to learn it to a point where you can actually teach it is very important. But even before I got started, I actually hired a mentor. And I'm a big believer in trying to hire somebody that has already made mistakes that you can reduce your learning curve so that you can actually start to go out of the gate and be able to, you know, uh, do some massive and major things. And, you know, our very first property that we acquired, you know, and I had never bought any other real estate other than my primary residence was a, I bought my very first one after I hired my mentor was a, 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 an $8.9 million property that had $2 million in renovations that we had put into it. And that was the very first one we did, 130 units. And since then, we've just continued to grow and expand. And, you know, uh, we actually, uh, one of our most recent deals that we closed was one in Raleigh, North Carolina. It was a $51.5 million project. And we raised $14 million from our investors to be able to acquire that. And uh, we've just continued to scale from there. And uh, we already have another deal under contract right now, which is around that $50 million mark. And we're looking at another deal right now at $71 million. And so we're, our goal, though, is, is to try to find assets that, ourselves as well as our investors can invest in that we know they're going to be solid performers in the long term. So we want to buy assets that are in solid, stabilized, blue chip surrounded corporations around that market, blue chip markets, or if you will, that have some stability in it. So if there is some sort of an economic turmoil like we're seeing right now with COVID-19, those assets won't take as big of a hit as if it was in some of those tertiary markets that might get hit worse. And uh, I really like the point about teaching other people. When I started, I actually, the only person I had available to start teaching things to was my college roommate. So I was teaching my college roommate, regardless of if he actually wanted to, but I highly recommend <laughs> you, uh, you teaching everyone around you, whether that's just your dog in the room or your, your mom, your dad, your, your significant other, anything, just getting in that teaching mindset definitely does help you um, learn things quickly. I want to touch on one thing that I think is really huge. And I've noticed amongst a lot of successful people that I've talked to is that they're lifetime learners. And it appears that, that you are dedicated to learning. Um, and also just how did you have the humility to reach out to a coach when you already started these two seven figure businesses, you're crushing it. You're definitely an entrepreneur, bona fide entrepreneur. Um, and you're having the humility to go and say, Hey, I'm not knowledgeable in this section. I'm going to reach out to a coach. So I kind of want to just talk on those two mindsets. Number one, being dedicated to learning. And then number two, having the humility to seek uh, avenue to learn. 
Sure. Well, I, I've always been a, a, an avid learner, especially when it comes to, to, to the business side of things and marketing. So I'm not a very big reader when it comes to, you know, uh, you know just, just regular bibliographies or, 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 or various books that are not, you know, business related or marketing specific. You know, there's been a few bibliographies lately that I've been reading because they're, they're business people, you know, um, but I'm, I'm a big believer in trying to, you know, digest information because the only way you're going to get, you're going to improve yourself is to be able to you know, learn from other people. And one of the best ways to do that is to be able to, you know, read books, listen to podcasts like this one, and, you know, actually start to, you know, surround yourself with people that are, are more successful than yourself. And so that's one of the biggest things that I've done. And then on your, on your other point, yeah. So when it, when it, when it comes to, you know, finding that mentor, you know, to me, yes, I had already been successful in these other businesses, but I, and I didn't need a mentor in that space, even though I still have mentors in that space that have, can help me along the way as I continue to grow in those. But I knew that I needed somebody to be able to help me, you know, navigate the real estate side of things because I, I wasn't an expert there, right? I, I didn't know a lot about how these different things worked. And I wanted somebody that I wanted to hire somebody that I knew had already gone down that road. And the biggest thing with these types of investments, though, is that I think one of the keys to our success has been that we have a background in business, not just a background in business, but a successful background in business. Because when we're buying these large assets, we're pretty much just buying businesses that just so happen to have an asset associated with it, which makes it really nice and beneficial from a tax perspective. But we, because we have on-site staff and we, and we have to be able to know how to manage people, put in systems and procedures and processes in place. And we really have to you know, know how to run a business, especially right now with this whole COVID-19. You, know, you have to, as a business person, know how to make these these hard decisions and be very decisive and not sit there and think about things too long, but you have to understand, digest what's happening and actually make decisions and put things into place and then watch these various KPIs, these key performance indicators to make sure that if you need to pivot, you can pivot sooner rather than later. So, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things for me is, is I didn't know what those KPIs were in the beginning. I didn't know where all these different pivots needed to happen. But as I started to learn from my mentor, and even right now, I still have a mentor. So I wanted to still have that open line of communication so that if things did come up that I'm not familiar with how to do, I had somebody that I can actually call and get that advice and that, that advisement from. And I don't think I'll ever get rid of that person because I want to make sure I still have somebody on my team that I can actually reach out to and call and bounce ideas off of. And then when it comes to being an entrepreneur, I mean, it's, it's, it's sometimes like an island, right? It's, it kind of, there's not a lot of people in our circle sometimes that we can reach out to and talk to, you know? You know I've, there's people in my church that own businesses, but there's also a lot of people in my church that don't. You know, most of them don't own businesses. And so it's kind of hard to kind of, you know, talk about in a prayer group, if you will, about how the business lost 30,000 last year and they didn't even make that the whole year before. And so that there's a little bit of a relativity that's kind of hard, but that's, that's part of the island that we, we as entrepreneurs and business owners are on, whether it be in real estate or other types of businesses, that uh, it's good to have a mentor in place that you can actually have there as an advisor and, uh, and be able to kind of mastermind different topics as well. So on the point of education and things like that, uh, could you tell people just a little bit more about your, um, your podcast and your free investor group? Because I think that's a great resource for people who maybe don't want to, maybe they're not in a position to pay for a mentor. Well, you offer actually a free group. So there's no excuses here. And that's why I kind of want you to dig into to your group. Yeah, yeah. So if you want, if you're interested in kind of like finding out about some of the weekly webinars that we do, uh, you can go to multifamilyinvestornation.com and sign up for our email list there. Uh, we send out an email once a week announcing those webinars. And they're, they're really specific about different topics around multifamily. 
And, uh, and, then, and then you can also go to our YouTube channel. We list all those webinars in the past are actually listed on our YouTube channel. So you can take a look at that. And then as far as, uh, uh, as far as the other, as far as the podcast is concerned, you can go to MFIN, it stands for Multifamily Investor Nation, but MFINpodcast.com. And you can find out more information about it. But that podcast is really specific to finding and interviewing people that are actively acquiring properties, specifically multifamily. So five units or more, they have to be actively acquiring properties and they have to have actively closed a deal in the last 12 months. So if they've closed a deal in the last 12 months, we have them on, we got, we dive deep into the, into the nitty gritty about how they actually acquired that property. So we get into how they found the deal. How did they finance the deal? How did they work with investors? Was it a syndication or a JV? And you know, what did they do for the, for the, for the debt, for the actual debt structure, as well as on the equity side, and how did the capital stack lay out? We spent a good 30, 45 minutes to an hour really diving deep into those different investments. And it gives me a lot of um, a background and kind of knowledge about how other people are structuring things and putting things together and different ideas. But it also allows our listeners to really kind of understand and kind of learn about how these things are different, how these different projects are structured and how people are still closing deals even today. So how are you navigating this current environment and you are saying that you're still doing some deals. You still got some in the pipeline. People are still doing deals right now. So how are you going about underwriting conservatively and kind of predicting um, this environment and, and kind of moving with it a little bit? Sure. I will say it's tricky. You know, like right now it's, it's very tricky because there's so many things that are changing. The debt market's been changing, especially in March. It was all over the place. And like every hour you get a different quote that would, would be changed from three and a half to 5%. And it's all over the place. CMBS, Bridge Debt, LifeCo Company, they all kind of dried up and stopped. And the only people who are lending right now is Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And then now we're into April, and so there's, it's been, there's been some stabilization with it. There's been a few other lenders that have kind of jumped back in, some CMBS and bridge lenders. Obviously, their, their terms are a little bit different. Um, there's also a lot of interest reserves that you have to make sure that you're underwriting for. So there's a lot of moving pieces to it. So it is challenging. Um, and deals that were underwritten in, say, January and February, I've seen a lot of them fall, fall through the cracks. So not through the cracks, but fall, fall out because they have they were underwritten before all this happened and now the deal has just changed to dramatically to a point where this the, just doesn't make sense anymore and so and a lot of those deals are deals that had had a lot of bridge debt on it or cmbs and those lenders have kind of backed out i was actually personally a passive investor in a deal that week before closing they actually lost their bridge lender and they couldn't get another lender in place before the closing and the seller didn't want to file that want to don't want to approve an extension and so they had to back out of the deal. Thankfully, they returned all the investor money because the deal didn't go through and already got my capital back from it and everything. But those, those are the types of deals that are falling through, ones that where the bridge, the, 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 the lender just backed out or the underwriting just doesn't make sense anymore because if you're buying a value-add property where you're gonna be doing renovations and you actually uh, are underwriting, say maybe 12 to 15 months stabilization after doing renovations, you're gonna have to re-underwrite re that property, reduce your rent growth assumptions and also extend out your renovation timeline and it's gonna possibly kill that deal. Not that not it's gonna kill it to a point where it's gonna like, there's gonna be no return, but a lot of these deals that are value-add, they're trying to get 15% plus returns on them. And right now, because of the issues that we're having, it's probably gonna be closer to 10% or below. Um, so you're gonna still be able to preserve your capital, still be able to make some money off of it, but it's not gonna be as, as juicy as it was before. And a lot of these deals are falling through because those investors want to be able to have those higher returns that they're used to for the last you know, 10, 11, 12 years. And so, but moving forward, we are, we are being very careful um, right now, being, you know, making sure we can get into deals that have permanent agency financing. We have 10 years fixed debt and, uh, we, and that we have you know, many, of, uh, many, of, many, many 
uh, years of, of, of interest only if we can. Like we have a deal right now, we got seven years of interest only on still and 3.6% uh, interest that's gonna be fixed for 10 years. So it'll be, a, it'll be a great kind of debt structure to be in. And that deal is still moving forward and it's still doing really well. Um, but you, you, the biggest, other biggest kind of question mark right now is, is you know, where are the, where's the rent growth going to be, right? Because there's a lot of people that have lost their jobs and things like that. I'm still of the opinion, I'm speculating here, but I'm still of the opinion that, you know, once the economy starts to turn back on, you know, these businesses are going to need people to work for them. So they're going to still hire the, a lot of these people back because you're not going to see as much or dramatic amount of unemployment as we're seeing right now. And then a lot of that will come back over the next probably three to four to five to six months between now and the end of the year. And, uh, and so there's, there's a lot of people that are kind of holding out, waiting for those quote unquote good deals because people are going to be selling things at a discount. And I don't really think you're going to see as much of that because back in 2008, one of the things you saw a lot, one of the things you didn't see is a lot of capital in the market. And right now, the, cap, the market is flush with capital. There's so many people that are sitting on the sidelines waiting for those quote unquote good deals. And because there's so much competition for those good deals, they're not going to be as good deals as what people are looking at. Will they still be able to get a little bit of a discount? I think they still will, but they're not going to get the, the major home runs that they were looking for. And they've been sitting on their capital for several years. I know people have been sitting on capital since 2015. And this is kind of like the, 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 the ripe time. They've just been looking for this time. And you know, now it's here. And there's so many other people that are doing the same thing that uh, they're not just, they're, I don't think they're going to see the returns that they're going to be, that they were looking for because they sat on their capital, especially since 2015. I agree. I think since this has been such a long economic expansion, people started to see the red flags a little bit uh, more than they typically would in like a seven year cycle because around year nine or eight, everyone was like, wait a minute, this has been uh, too good to be true for too long. So I, I've had the same experience where a lot of people have been telling me, oh yeah, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. And, and for so long, I was like, well, you're going to be waiting forever, I think. But it seems that there is somewhat of a moment, but yes, there is definitely uh, an abundance of people who have, have seen the writing on the wall um, because, you know, 10 years of an expansion is, is, is unprecedented for sure. Yeah. Um, so is there any other place that people can find you online if they want to get in contact with you? Sure, sure. So uh, one of the best ways to do that is to go to my website, passiveinvesting.com. You can find out more information about myself and our other partners that we have in the group. There's two other ones, myself, Danny Randazzo and Brandon Abbott, really good solid partnership that we have and the rest of our team. So we have a good solid team from an asset management acquisitions, as well as from a marketing perspective as well. And if you're interested in, you know, find out more information about our group and possibly join us one of our future properties, you can certainly go to that website, passiveinvesting.com. There's a little button on the top right-hand corner of the page. It says, join the Passive Investor Club. And, uh, and you can certainly do that. And I uh, would love to you know, uh, have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you to see if our, our group is the right fit for you. So I'll do that one-on-one -on -one phone call with you. And I'd uh, love to, uh, you know, you know if, if you're interested to, to join us. And uh, one of the other things that we do for our investors, I know people on the podcast can't see this, but we have these newsletters that we actually send out every month. The really nice uh, uh, newsletters that we send out for our investors called the, the Passive Investors, the name of the newsletter. We interview one of our investors every month so you can kind of see who they're investing alongside. But then we also, um, each one of the managing partners writes an article in that newsletter so that our investors can kind of know how we think and get to know us before they even decide to invest with us. So um, it's a really good, useful tool. And if you join that Passive Investor Club, you'll get access to those newsletters every month. And uh, um, if, you, if, if, if we decide we're a good fit, right? So that's one of the best ways to find us is just go to PassiveInvesting.com and, uh, and start that conversation. Man, those newsletters are savvy looking. They're laminated like almost magazine for people who can't uh, see from the podcast uh, platform. But thank you so much for coming on, Dan, taking the time. Well, I appreciate it, Kyle. And uh, thanks for having me and uh, looking forward to continue to follow you as well.